and a large part of what validates James Joyce so much is this profound, and I mean aesthetic in sort of the classical um, philosophical sense, not like right. the internet. Like so, the aesthetic. This of is his a. Writing, this is, so you mean James Joyce's penchant for being an anime character from the '80s smoking a cigarette? Yeah, <laughs> this is an aesthetic. The ability for him to be smooth jazz over. Uh, crudely animated 3D polygons. I think we we all want to know: Did he invent vaporwave? Yeah, James Hegel is a Joyce, mood. <laughs> um, I would say that Finnegan's Wake is a vaporwave novel. Wow, I'm yeah. I'm willing. Fuck it, I'm actually gonna say that. <laughs> oh wow! Episode That's title. A death sentence for this week um oh big news uh langdon is now officially part of the pod say hi hello i i, I actually asked you to say hi so well done really off to a great start I'm this is off the pod podcast it's and that's it that's it for this week i got hired and fired yeah. the end gone yeah. the langdon era of death sentence was really my favorite um <laughs> oh, but thanks. you know well, I mean, you know, because Gareth was there too. It's, oh, yeah. it's always about the interplay. It's like the Andy Richter era of Conan. Um, you come for Conan, but it's nice to have the sidekick. Yeah. My favorite part was when he said hello and then got fired. Yeah. <laughs> Drama. Uh, and that in the other voice here is uh, Trevor Strunk from uh, No Cartridge Audio, which hey. if you are good at listening to podcasts... Um, and you must be to have listened to this one because you're going to have to like dive deep to, to find us. Uh, you've probably found <laughs> No Cartridge, and it's it's a really, really good video games podcast. Thank you. And there must be a billion video games podcasts. 90% of them are terrible, and No Cartridge is... It's actually my favorite one. I'm not saying that because you're here. Um, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. My running subtitle for No Cartridge is The Good Video Games Podcast. <laughs> People call it that a lot. I think there, I think there are a lot of political. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Maybe you guys haven't heard about this, but I think there are a lot of political uh, problems about video games. Wow, that oh, that's oh. news to me. That maybe, ooh, maybe that's fertile ground for uh, our game art. Ooh. Mm-hmm. See, you guys, you guys <laughs> talk. I'm lit myself on. with a bulldozer now. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys talk lit on this podcast, right? My 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 first love, yeah, and and our kind of last, uh, yeah, main, mainly literature, and also okay. sometimes sometimes comics, and sometimes metal. Well, often, often that's metal. all literature. You just said three types of literature. Yeah, metal is ten is the most literate of all uh, the musical genres. I feel very much like a metal poser these days because I'm. Um, I find myself very much enjoying uh, 
Ghost BC, <laughs> who I feel like on some level is like a is a is a poser band to enjoy. Um, I love them. Yeah, I I really really enjoy them, and uh, I've I've been like just constantly eating up their stuff uh, recently. But at the same point, like I think if I was you know talking to myself from college and like getting really into obituary and stuff like that, I'd be really irritated with me. Um, uh, I would describe them as if ABBA wore corpse paint, and also that if you don't like the phrase "if ABBA wore corpse paint," you can get the fuck out. <laughs> yeah. So that's reasonable because like, he knows yeah. metal i mean that's like that's that's serious man i like talking to langdon about metal there are like a few people on twitter that i will risk talking to metal about <laughs> langdon's one of them um gareth you're you're now one too oh, thank uh, you. and then um uh chris Reedar, uh who yeah, yeah. Good. he's very good about talk he's very good with metal um he is he knows a lot of like uh good grindcore and stuff um, very well beloved in the the metal world Dude's great. Yeah, um, we, we should point out that it's the good metal world, not the the, the very not, much larger bad one. It's it's a lot yeah, of it's I like video deny games. Those guys' yeah. personhood. I'm I'm really good at just fully denying personhood to people that I don't like. So they're just they're gone. They're <laughs> they're dead. They die. I, I, it's also another benefit of not having any object permanence. So oh, that's if, good. If I if I force myself to not think about them for even a short period, they're literally dead to me. Oh, interesting fact. That's uh, that's actually uh, Burzum's thing too. He doesn't have object permanence, so that's true. That's how he churches can... specifically. <laughs> he doesn't feel he doesn't feel churches are permanent objects, yeah. or uh, or band members. <laughs> <laughs> is it is it true um, that uh, I this is this is one of those rumors that I, I I can't imagine is true, but I really desperately want it to be that. Uh, when Burzum killed uh, Euronymous, uh, his defense was that actually it wasn't a murder, that Euronymous just fell on glass 17 times. He did say that. He did say that mm. at least once. Um, what's even better is that Extremely good. the murdering was over songwriting royalties. And also, uh, one, one thing that like no one ever points out about... Sorry, go on. One thing about um, Burzum, or Varg Vickerness, we should call him, or Christian Vickerness is his real name. Um, Ooh, he, did he change his name because he likes Christianity a lot? Yeah, he was. He loves Christianity so much, he didn't want to like bite its flow by having the same name. Um, he, he was planning to blow up a punk house. He, he had like tons of explosives and like automatic Really? Weapons. Yeah, he was like... After he killed Euronymous, like a couple of days later, he was going to blow up a house with like forty people in it. Uh, just that really doesn't surprise me about him. No, um, and also he's a real piece of shit. He, <laughs> yeah, he is, and he's also the most boring alt right YouTube celebrity. Yep. Um, Look, he has the best video about how to pick up a virtuous woman. That is, <laughs> <laughs> that is one of the best videos on YouTube, where a racist tells you you have to. You have to signal how racist you are to the white women in order to really attract the most virtuous racist woman. And I, I do. I, I've been trying, but it's just don't see my racist virtues. Do you go to a lot of Do you go to a lot of barbecues where, where uh, they might be upset about the uh, black people in the neighborhood? That's usually where I find them. Mm, yeah, there's there's a real. Um, I was going to say sausage fests because they what well, they are because they're barbecues, but. Uh, <laughs> Oy, sausage barbecue. I like that. I like yep. that. Um, so we got Trevor on to talk about 
books, but also video games. And How's that for a mind fuck? Yeah. It's crazy. They're the- Wrap your head around that one, fucking idiots. I know. Our dumbass listeners are never going to understand like half of this. It's pretty amazing. We're going to get real deep into theory. Um, actually, the funny thing is, uh, so um, I say this enough that you probably know this, but I have a, a PhD in English. You and, do? Um, you didn't know that? Oh, no. I said you do as in uh, I was a fan. Oh, I was like, what? I was like, was like have I like, not? You do? I was like, yeah, do. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do. It's true. Um, <laughs> for better or worse, I do. But the, um, you know, the funny thing about uh, video games in, in literary criticism as such, like the the kind of world of literary criticism as it exists, is that like games criticism is not impressive. And, and I think like I think part of it is that games and lit don't. I mean, they don't meet up too often. So like, I think I think it's just like people in literary studies don't know how to talk about games and I, I think games may not know how to frame themselves as books either games correspond with film and film corresponds with novels but you know they seem to live on two separate sides of the venn diagram this is actually one of the reasons why for a long time um like i uh when you initially brought up the idea of doing no cartridge before you had that name um mm-hmm. when you're just doing the essay series yeah, um, yeah, I was really excited to see you do it because just you know we've been friends for a while. I've seen your writing on stuff, and it's like, oh, this will work really well. And the non-joking reason why I refer to you as like the Good Games Podcast is uh, the same <laughs> reason why like everyone was impressed with Austin Walker when he first came on the scene. Is someone? Yes. A lot of games writing we see, even the stuff that's touted as really good, ultimately feels very fanish and ultimately pointed at some way towards personal identity ends in terms of I like this game and so I need everyone to like it in order for some kind of validation, which isn't necessarily wrong. That's a normal human part of engagement with art. So that's that's normal sociology. Um, well, I or, mean, but it's, it's also true that, like, video games uh, have that, but then there's also a... Um, there's also this, like, urge for justification, right? Like, and, yeah. and it's not just justification in terms of... It, it certainly is critical justification. They're concerned about that, but then also... In terms of like, well, is this worth your sixty dollars, right? And that's that's the bit, the other bit that I was going to bring up is that yeah, it it uh, games writing hasn't largely broken itself away from um, economic concerns, and not that it should fully do that because until until those things are free, that's an angle of it. But it seems in a lot of like games reviews, games criticism, things like that, the looming question is should you spend time and money on it? Not what is it? What does it do? How well does it do it? How does right. it fit in the ecosystem that you'd normally see in kind of literary studies? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it's it, part of that is, I mean, part of that is because it's expensive as, as you sort of alluded to. And I mean, yeah, okay. Like I get why you're not so concerned about that with books. They cost $15 or whatever. It's not a huge risk, but at the same point, like, imagining someone being like well you know should you buy this book like it it wasn't super like i didn't find it worth my 15 dollars is like a totally crazy and like i don't know like i can't imagine anyone thinking about books that way Mm -hmm. like it's it just it it sounds so i don't know it sounds so foreign to how we would understand literature and even how we would understand music like Mm -hmm. people threw that around sometimes back in the heyday of of cds like oh i'd annoyed that I spent $16 on this, but it almost always was, do I like the music or not? Not, was this worth my $16? Hmm. 
Yeah, same for film. It's mm-hmm. yeah, I know for sure. No one's worried about like, oh, geez, I spent like eight dollars on this ticket. I hope, I wish I hadn't have done that because I, you know, a critical aspect in every medium, save for games for most people, is that while we tend to want the highest quality stuff and to engage with things that are considered greats or things that are considered relevant or um, hidden gems, things like that. Mm-hmm. It's hard to think of someone who really likes books straight up getting angry that they wasted their time reading a bad book because there's a unique kind of satisfaction in uh, like uh, it's been out for a bit now. So uh, the that Tao Lin book that came <laughs> I was out. Gonna say. Fucking oh, no. garbage. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You remember Tao Lin. We all remember Tao Lin. Here. Oh, Tao Lin, Tao Lin spoke at my school. Uh, That's he came terrible. Yeah, I, I went at UIC where I got my uh, PhD. Talon came. He apparently was really boring. Uh, I, I missed it because uh, I think I was away when he came. But um, <laughs> you were away in your room, in my house, just play, <laughs> doing something other than. No, no, I, I think I uh, organized things. So I like to, you know, you like yeah. to, you like to support your friends. Uh, but the the funny thing about it wasn't the presentation; it was afterwards. They uh, you, so like whenever you have a speaker come in, we had a second year speaker series where the second year PhDs would bring someone in and. You bring them out to dinner, basically. You buy them dinner. Um, and Tao Lin went to this, like, mall in Chicago and was like, I have to get uh, raw vegetables. And, like, they walked around for an hour just looking for this raw vegetable place. And then Tao Lin ditched them. <laughs> yep. That's Tao Lin. Yep. Tao Lin, Tao Lin is exactly how you would um, how you would expect him to exist. Hmm. That's, uh, well, hopefully he'll die of natural causes soon. Hmm. Um, I'm allowed to say that, I think, that I hope through natural causes alone, Taolin dies. Hmm. He tries, like, removing his vaccines or something. Yeah, like, he's (laughs) going to do it to himself. He's gone full anti-vaxxer. He only eats, I guess, like, nutritionally enriched dirt, like potting soil or something, so. Uh, Seriously? close to it um he went full like uh paleo vegan yeah i knew he was like well that, that i think that raw thing was part of why he was such a jerk to or so so hard to to have eat, uh eat because he just <laughs> needed raw food like he he insisted on it and they're like well i mean it's chicago so it's here but are you sure you want to find it in this mall and you know all he wanted <laughs> to take drugs so pretty pretty hard on 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 everyone involved if you're just that particular about everything how, it's like how long even, ago was this in, oh. uh i don't know probably like four years ago now okay so yeah it'd be about from what you described so uh like in even in uh in the film world the uh or in the critical bodies of like the film world engaging with what we would consider a bad or substandard film is considered just as much a part of the domain as determining whether a director is the next uh Godard or something absolutely like that. absolutely that's a good way of putting um, it and same with uh same with fine art same with uh it's a huge component of literature to the point where at a certain at a certain level the notion of gradation just goes away because that's sort that's like a really flippant and puerile way to approach art it's like oh yeah get a um well, and I mean, but, the other thing is, like, no one cares. Like, you, I yeah. mean, you can, like, you can, you end up doing this work, and no one, 
people might care about my scholarship. I mean, I, I, I say this knowing that no one does, but like people might care about my literary scholarship, but they certainly don't care whether I like the books I read or not. Like, absolutely not. They like no one, <laughs> no one in the world is like, Ooh, I wonder if Trevor liked the books that, that he read. Um, there, there's literally no interest in that. But of course in video games, that's the only thing that's interesting. And I guess um, an, another thing is like with films and even music and, um, books you can something can be so bad it's good but with video mm-hmm. games that you there's never so bad it's good well actually yeah. so here's where i'm gonna cut in i think that's not true but i think that we don't have a venue to critically discuss that that's why for like a long time i've, I've had like a pet thing where i pick apart and uh write about the uh the museau games that um Koei's been putting out and I I've only published like two parts of it because no one read it um but <laughs> like it, it's this engaging question for me of like this massively popular thing and so it's validated in a certain um broader base even if uh games critics don't tend to like them but then it becomes the standard question of what are they doing what are they attempting to do how are they using difference in scale and verisimilitude um to evoke or sometimes literally portray things. It's an that one is an adaptation of a novel. Um, the most lit video game novel crossover, fucking Dynasty Warriors. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> but uh, let's turn a six hundred year old ancient Chinese novel into a fucking oh, it's a beat em up RPG. And uh, some guy had an aneurysm and probably stroked out when he had that idea. Because he's like, this should be anime, man. They should all be on fire, and they should all be able to go Super Saiyan. It's like, <laughs> they do that in the book, and he's like, I don't know. I can't read. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it, but like what you're saying is true. Like it, it, Video games, I was talking to, um, I think this episode's going to come out next week. I don't know. I can't remember. But um, uh, with uh, Brian Hansen, uh, who's, uh, who's a really interesting dude who writes about, actually writes about anime, or used to write about anime. I don't think he does anymore. Um <laughs> But, he got out uh, of that game. <laughs> well, it doesn't. From what he says, it doesn't pay, uh, which <laughs> shocking. Right. Um, um, but yeah, he um, he was he was talking to me, and he he said that in fact, like in Japan, um, there's like a huge market for terrible games. Like the, the, there's there are stores that just sell them, and like there's like a special part of the store that is just like these games are are awful. Like you can play them here or buy them here. Um, which is just like it's it's an interesting sort of shift in how we appreciate it because of course like that's just a different way of understanding like what is good about video games like what why anyone would care about video games it's not like oh they play them because they want them to be good all the time it's also that they play them because they're cultural artifacts and I think that's maybe where we're not as as like a I don't know a gaming culture <laughs> if, if that's not such a ridiculous thing to say I also think that there's there's this element that shows up in um and pretty much all other kinds of uh, of art where, and I think Undertale touches on this as an, a brief example of something touching on that really hard, where mm. you want to see interesting little kernels, even if they aren't necessarily in bloom yet. Obviously, we want them to be in bloom. We want to walk in and be totally floored by this absolutely new fully formed thought or fully formed idea, but... Games are sometimes, or rather sometimes games writers aren't great at articulating that what's exciting here is, uh, like, how idle game mechanics went from 
literally parody Flash games into a component that AAA games are dabbling in a lot, and how um, light crafting components also have a similar lineage through like really bad truncations of uh, RPG style thought mm. into like overly simplifying how like crafting or something like that might have worked in say Ultima into a smaller form, and that smaller form line, uh, the genealogy of it getting swept back into AAA stuff as developers got, you know, slowly brought up through, like, making things for, like, armor games into doing, like, indie game development into getting bought by a... And so, like, Undertale being an example of a game that I have some issues with, but it's mostly um, art direction and tonality when it comes to mechanically what's going on there and Mm how, like, the almost organic depth to... um, the flags and uh, certain auto saves that it does in order to track certain information, even though it's not telling you like everyone was rightfully enamored by that. And I think the fact that they were willing to overlook like a kind of cloying um, tone, the the writing was kind of haphazard and it was either you're charmed by it or you're not charmed by it. There's no, you can't point to it and go, this is objectively high quality writing or for whatever objective would mean there. Mm -hmm. Instead, it's just sure. Yeah, but, you know, then you have this core that really no one can reasonably look at it and go, this isn't an impressive, um, thoughtful, engaging thing that's worth uh... So sometimes I think there's that little bit of a labeling issue of, like, we we treat it sometimes in games as though it's ineffable why a certain game might be, um, like, the kaleidoscopic appeal that Shenmue opened up um, where we wouldn't have Grand Theft Auto 3, and because of that, we wouldn't have most of modern gaming if we didn't have Shenmue. Because um, it was like a Velvet Underground type thing. Like, the game developers who played Shenmue were like, holy fuck, I didn't realize we could do this kind of thing. Oh my god. Like, Right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's really... I mean, that's interesting. I, I wonder, like... It, that might be one of the ways that we can think about uh, literature and gaming, because of course, like that's kind of how literature develops as well. At least the novel. Hmm. Like, I mean, like certainly the novel, which is what I'm most familiar with uh, in my critical work, develops that way because, I mean, it just develops via mercantilism. It develops via like a system by which you know people start reading the same novel and and start getting inspired by it. But mostly, like. You, know, you look at early novels and they're all just kind of like trying to figure out what they are. It's, it's a total experiment. And then like once people figure out like, oh, you can write kind of an epic that's also like not quite a poem, then, it, you know, that's that's when the, the, the actual work starts happening. Hmm. Yeah. And like how uh, the like the critically um, uh, the form that had the most critical attention um, for the longest time was a short story um, right next to the poem because mm-hmm. uh, because of the similar treatment of like, oh, novels are just picaresques and romances that people entertain themselves with, but that's not, you know, that isn't like Guy de Maupassant. Like, we gotta yeah, right. find the... And then someone... I don't remember what the first, like, holy shit novels are here now... Um, novel was off the top of my head i, I don't know, know i mean you, could, you can make it you can make an argument for a lot of them uh i guess like i don't know probably i would say um i mean it it just kind of depends like uh, definitely yeah. robinson crusoe when, when crusoe came out it was still you're still looking at novels like oh these are women's women's uh, work or whatever i mean it was classed and gendered for 
ever um, as like a, a thing that is not of like serious value. But at the same point, probably like, oh man, it's, it's really hard to say like when novels became like serious stuff that serious people read. That's a good question. And yet this, uh, this, this driving thought of games, of like, what is it that's compelling about them? And then like what you're saying, the, the genealogy from, from video, um, makes, uh, a great, a great claim here. So film was this thought of taking still image and marrying it with the narrative of something like, uh, a short story or a novel mm-hmm. and, um, suddenly getting something compelling there. And uh, ironically, the notion of something like experimental film is more subtracting one of those components. Like, instead of complexifying what we consider experimental film, actually simplifying the dynamic and making something that's just a little bit harder to follow. Um, And video games being the same thing, only uh, the addition of agency. Um, In the same way that... Like, I brought... I talked about this to a a friend of mine who does um, a film podcast that... One of the things that's at least compelling to me about film is the fact that the tempo is very locked. Hmm. With a film, all you can do is sit there and take it in at the rate and in the manner in which it's given to you. Um, meanwhile, with a novel, there's kind of like that um, free tempo. Like, you're able to... Alan Moore brings up a good point about that when he says why he likes... Why he makes comics and now novels and not film. Because you can do certain layering things where you can flip back at any point... Uh, to look at a previous frame and to see certain uh, parallelism and to see mm. parallel structure and to compare lines in a way that technically you can do with film, but is a lot harder and a lot more cumbersome and much no one really does it. Interesting. Um, and I guess we and, oh, sorry, and video games have that same kind of that same kind of reimplementation of agency that there's like you you have to be present for a video game to go on. Like you can't. Unlike yeah. a film, which you can put on and walk away and come back, and it'll still be. And unlike a novel, where if you put it down, it literally ceases. Um, <laughs> games are games are a lot closer to that, where there's a certain amount of ambient um, work going on, unless it's something like super hot. Um, th- but you know, it requires that kind of agency, which would have that slight implication that there should be more of an interaction between. Uh, like like a more direct interaction between novels and um video games mm. uh but instead we see this this messy interaction where it seems like the thought is let's just pull the narrative from a book and paste it onto the shell of the game which mm. winds up like distending and warping the narrative because it has pauses now in awkward places and Things that would have been like a paced event are now like uh, a gunfight or whatever. Right. And then it also distends game because it's like playing game, playing game, long cutscene that doesn't have any tonal connection to uh, gameplay. I mean, it's also it's also true that like the uh, I'm trying to think of like the best way to say this, but like what you're describing in the novel is, is certainly true. Um, it's about recursion, um, but. Uh, the the recursion um, in a video game is really hard. Like it's it's very difficult to do recursion in a video game. Like you have to go back and play it. It's time consuming. So like it's also a commitment, right? Like it's a commitment to where like you have to you have to really commit to 
playing a video game like reading a novel. You have to be sort of like, okay, I'm going to spend 200 hours playing this video game in order to do it that way. I suppose with a novel where you can be like, well, I'm going to go back and read that chapter again. I don't know if I caught all that. And there's a, I think, I think um, a parallel, and it was something that um, when I chatted to you about like some video game type stuff that I'd like to talk about at some point, um, the notion of how specifically I think that hundred percenting a game is a lot closer to um, close reading of a novel for the same the the internal mechanics are a little bit different but the internal affect like uh, to get really Hegelian with it the like the inside of the inside is very mm-hmm. much the same there that you are and I think like a game like Celeste does this really well where you have to play through the game entirely in order to, and you'll pick up some of the B-sides, but you have to get complete all of the A-sides and all of the B-sides to unlock, and some other stuff in order to unlock the C-sides, and only after finishing all of the C-sides can you start getting the golden berries. Um, and so forcing that uh, that same kind of thing that one might do with... Um, with a novel or with a film of like going and pouring over something and peeling back little layer by little layer. Um, more so that you can get inside the head of the creator as much as possible and also get inside the like illusory head of the work as much as possible. So hitting mm-hmm. that divide of like you get to see simultaneously how did the person who constructed this view it internally as they were making it. But then also, yeah. how does this thing that was made and now functions as like a pseudo-psychology onto it, or pseudo-psyche unto itself, how does that view itself um, based just on the objectness of it? And I think that, um, if anything, I think it's interesting that a lot of games, people seem to be good about doing that. And if anything, a lot of writing, like especially the like hackish, clickbaity like, here's the real political subtext of blank game tends to um, flatten that dynamic that I think gamers are actually fairly adept at doing instinctively. Mm. Makes sense. Okay, so we'll be back in a minute, but uh, I want to try to play you a little song first. This one's by a band called Spectral Wound. They're out of uh, Quebec. They're uh, Le Metal Noir Quebecois. Uh, it's been, if you don't know, a kind of resurgence of really cool black metal in um, Quebec. Uh, some of it a little dodgy because, you know, black metal, it's like that. But uh, some of it really cool, and this is on the really cool side. Uh, it was recommended by uh, Kim Kelly of Noisy. Um, she's just gotten upgraded to having her own uh, weekly column uh, there. Uh, and not upgraded far because she's already an editor and um she always has good opinions so follow her on twitter and special wound uh it's really good ten technical black metal you know it's uh, all the sc- screams and guitar bits are in the right places but it's also really nicely produced it sounds like it's as well produced as something like death heaven which i know is like you're gonna be able dick about that but it they're well produced you can say that and these guys are equally well produced and it's a really good decision to go down that route as opposed to go down the usual 
uh, record on a um, toy boombox route. So check out Spectral Wound and we'll be back in a minute where I get accused of liking anime.
so Gareth, mm-hmm. you're you're a big. I don't want to. I don't want to put this on you, but you're a you're a big anime guy, right? Like a big, big. a big sort of. Like, and I think yeah. is that is that fair? Uh, not really. Um, <laughs> no, it's not. Um, oh no. no uh, I might be a bigger anime. I think guy yeah. I think Landon's definitely honestly, a bigger anime guy. I just keep quieter about it. Um, okay. I'm, I'm not a huge um, anime guy. I, I have devoted a unnecessary amount of uh, my life to watching anime. Um, but I, I haven't okay. gone in, like really deep. You know, I've I've watched the big the big names. I will kill names. and die for anime. But yeah, I I would I would um, become minorly inconvenienced to watch Neon Genesis Evangelion again. Maybe not kill or die. You know, <laughs> you would okay. You wouldn't kill or die for I, okay. I that makes sense. But, but, um, uh, well, I mean, but let me let me ask you about like so so Neon Genesis Evangelion is a good example where like. I had a friend tell me one time um, in one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard in my life. So um, to give you an idea of what I think of this claim, uh, <laughs> I had a friend tell me one time that Neon Genesis Evangelion was the most important work of art in the 20th century. Yeah, it isn't um, um, at all. No, no. And he's wrong. It, and that's wrong. No, that's very wrong. <laughs> it's just incorrect. Um, but uh, so what I'm interested in there is like, you know, like anime is one of these really interesting problems in 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 interpretation whereby you kind of have to think about it as if it's both like fun and like you know uh leisure uh but also like serious right Mm -hmm. like people people like to interpret it people like to find meaning in it i I wonder if like does anime differ from literature in that way do you like you feel literature sort of has a way where it gets away from this idea of like oh this has to be a pastime like the seriousness is sort of the pastime in and of itself whereas with anime or video games or comics or anything like that you have to have the fun in it too Mm. if that makes sense no i I understand um i think i think anime the very best anime in the world and maybe that is neon genesis evangelion but um the very best anime in the world isn't in terms of like quality for even like a vaguely informed uh, watcher isn't as good as say just an average uh, prestige tv show or just just mm-hmm. the jokes and are not as good as something you'd find on i don't know the big bang theory it, it's not it, it, it never gets to that quality never gets it never reaches enough height to be okay that good you know? I would- I would I would disagree with that, but I think a lot of that has to do with the um, the the one. It's an issue of cultural refraction when we're receiving something from a distant culture. What is it that tends to get the most um, noise behind it? And then also, uh, uh, like where where the eye tracks. I, I think that's along the lines of like if your first brush, if your primary brush with metal is like post grunge and uh like new metal than the notion of like i don't know symbolic might just you know you might not even conceive of it to the thought that like maybe i'm not hearing something like you know or like focus or something Mm. like that yeah but but i and that's where i think that there is a there's a studiousness that has to come with any of this stuff 
Um, I'm a buzzkill. I don't like fun. I don't understand fun. The thought of fun makes me upset, and then I start crying because I'm angry, and I have the mentality of a six-year-old, and anger makes me sad. Uh, well, it, it's good that you're on a podcast, <laughs> yeah. Ben, because that is uh, there's nothing fun about podcasts. There is not. It's true. It's <laughs> Except those true murder ones. Those are good. Uh, well, yeah, those, those yeah. can be pretty fun. But, uh, what I'm saying right. is, like, in... I think like the best anime in the world isn't going to be, isn't going to ha- be able to do that, um, do as much work as a as a okay novel. I think you're never gonna, you can project tons of stuff, and people have on like near in Evangelion in terms of like religion or Freudianism and stuff. But I think you, you, with anime, you're always going to hit a wall where it's, I don't want to say like a trash medium, but it kind of is. It's so. I guess I, the, uh, the question. Yeah, I don't. Agree well, that, 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 but, well, so the podcast already. But. The the question for me there, <laughs> and like I'm actually interested in that. I think it's. I think that's a very. Um, I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to be absurd here. So I will. I will couch this by saying this is the adjective I'll use, but it's not like you're a troop, um, who are who we all uh, love on this uh, on this show. Yeah. I'm sure. Um, uh, it's it's not that like. It's that kind of brave, but it's a brave position in that, like, saying that a particular genre isn't good. Um, I mean, I've, but no, seriously, I mean, like, I, I think like saying a particular genre is like not ever going to be as good as another genre is a is a bold claim, and I think it's like a an interesting claim too. So, like, I would I would wonder uh, hearing hearing you say that, like, why why do you think that is? Like, why do you think it's it's true that like anime can't ever rise to the uh the artistry of even like kind of a i mean let's not let's not like uh, stack the bench and say like okay it has to be citizen kane like say why can't it be like heat why can't it be as good as heat um partly it's because of the production reality of anime a lot of it is okay. uh, created to be shown at like 3 a.m on like obscure channels and a, a lot of the stuff that uh western weebs see in anime is like utterly obscure stuff in japan you know it's it would be like people in japan getting really into some like adult swim show that's on at like 3 a.m like um i don't know like squidbillies you know it it, <laughs> right, sure. um, it it's not it doesn't have like the people who go in to write anime are not going to be the the top line uh, writers they, they can come up with some really good ideas sometimes, but they're, they're not, like, if you're a really good writer, uh, you go into film or TV. You, like, a, a great writer who knows they're a great writer isn't going to want to do anime. I, I think this is kind of applicable to video games I, as well. Like, uh, uh, I'm, uh, uh, well, uh, my brain is melting. Gareth, come on. <laughs> I, I, think, come I on. think it's true. I think you're taking a you're taking a position effectively that okay. So, um, th- uh, by that notion, like an Alan Moore wouldn't ever be possible within comics because it's the same kind of, uh, like attitude of like that's the pulp thing and not the esteemed. Um, I, that's not to say that there isn't a vast amount of utter fucking bullshit that is um that it's an or that's anime but one i think that also mistakes 
what its purpose is. It's sort of like saying that a symbolist novel or like a novel from the decadent period is um, not as good as a Hemingway novel because, uh, or, or not even necessarily Hemingway, but you know, someone from that era because one is more serious than the other. But it's, um, I hold the the staunch position that all art is just more or less aesthetic psychic circuitry and that um, its depth is a shadow conjured by the person engaging with it. There's not. Um, so uh, on that, that is that also point, a bold position. Uh, I, I will <laughs> add. <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm, I oh, I'm willing to go with that bold. I mean, so I'll I, count I like, your bold one with a crazy opinion. <laughs> I, I think like, I think like the, uh, what, where, where I agree with Gareth on, on this one is that, I mean, it's not, I, I can't, I don't know enough about anime to actually judge it, to be honest with you. New podcast. We all watch anime together. <laughs> I've thought about it. I've thought about it. I, 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 that, that one that everyone keeps telling me to watch that's like geopolitics and it's like, you know, 300 oh, yeah. episodes long. Yeah, that's the one. Which one? Sorry, um, I didn't catch up. Geopolitics? Which one? It's called Hetalia. Oh, it's, th- that's uh, the anthropomorphized. That's the worst one. That's the worst anime, right there. No, it's 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 fucking hysterical. It's terrible. I watched like four episodes, and it was like, here's the Italian guy. Hey, pizza. That was the, that was the no, joke. That's funny. No, no, that's it was funny. Not funny. <laughs> I was thinking of something ah, else. Like Giuseppe. This, but... It's funny. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you're thinking to say anyhow? What I do like, what I do like is, um, what I like about, about Gary's point is that like, there's like, it's very true that you, you end up with these, um, you end up with like a, a kind of like a class system where like, yeah, okay. Like there can be an Alan Moore in comics, but Alan Moore in comics doesn't come out of nowhere. Alan Moore in comics comes out of the fact that he, he started in 2000 AD uh in, in over overseas he uh well i mean uh, gareth i guess like Not where overseas. you are well, I, I assume. i'm in canada right now so it is still overseas but uh okay well but 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 you know he's in he's in britain he's 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 writing for a british company and he doesn't start at the top like he's writing kind of like podunk stuff and and not necessarily like inspired stuff like i don't know if you've read like his first stuff but it's it's not good like the the kind of comedy time traveling alien buddy cop thing he yeah, did initially is not, unreadable I like, it, I like it historically i i'm a big um art historian dipshit so uh <laughs> so i collect that stuff but yeah it's um that's not what i handle yeah i mean yeah right the, but like i mean that but that came out of a long process whereas like i think you know it it, it is true and like it it's you know disappointing or not it is true that anime probably doesn't get the same kind of um credit as as other uh genres and in fact like it would take the best and the brightest uh, you know their own sort of it would take like it would take an alan moore basically who does a good job at producing uh say <laughs> a comic that people want to read and well, then that, that's where i think that something like um ixion i think does a really good job at bridging that which is a uh, a mech anime from from the 80s um around the same time as gundam but substantially more um philosophical and theosophically uh engaged um <laughs> yeah but with giant mechs i mean so it's sort of uh it's sort of that thing is that you almost one also there are there are plenty of anime that divorce themselves almost entirely from fantastical elements but even when engaging with that pulp 
thing. I'm I'm an ardent defender of um I don't even want to call it lowbrow art because that values the wrong part of it. It's more that uh some of our greatest works period have engaged with like fantastical shades and so I think that sort of um invalidating something based on containing pulpy elements sort of historically misunderstands things that would have been pulpy in the time period in which they were crafted, but then became non-pulpy because of esteem granted to them later. Like Don Quixote was a pulp novel initially. And sure. Dickens was but it obviously transformed into Don Quixote. Yeah. But the other thing you'd say there is like, yeah, sure. But also Penny Dreadfuls aren't readable. <laughs> like there, there is, there is a quality thing there where like, in fact, once they do get esteem, uh, that that does tend to be when they become um, more viable. Like when when they actually become readable, when they actually do become like more interesting, is when oh, actually this is like this is a usable form. We can we can get some decent authors on this. Uh, I mean, y- you know, you're not making any money off of it. Uh, the fact that the market actually does dictate. I don't know. The fact that the market actually does dictate quality is kind of interesting. I mean, it brings us back to. Um, video games in a way where you say like, yeah, you know, the it's not, it, it's true that you're not going to get as good work in unpopular genres uh, because the cultural and economic market isn't in there. Um, I don't know. There, there's something, there's something plausible about that. That's a very well, materialist well, history I mean, of art. Well, well, I, I, oh. Um, oh, I, I think, oh, I mean, I, which one of us? Okay, I want to go first. You guys have to start using video. Yeah. Now, now you have okay. to. I want to do this. Because I, I was, I'm thinking back to like when I was in a uh, writing, um, you, you Americans call it MFA, we called it MA, just Masters of Art. Okay. And um, my the one I did was like supposed to be one of the, one of the best in Britain, like the last, um, what's it called, Nobel Prize winner came from there. And Which one did you uh, go to? UEA, East Anglia. Okay. And um, yeah, and I remember talking about video games with other people on my course who there's only a couple of people who actually had ever played a video game. And um, basically all these people who had been trained to be the, you know, the top gun writers of the next generation, a bunch of my classmates have got brilliant, brilliant books out and um, won all sorts of awards. Like if we had ever talked about going into video games writing as a possible career path would be we would have been laughed out of that course like right sure it's a it's a it's a classy it's a classist thing it's a um video games are not as good a format as novels therefore good writers will be encouraged to write novels and maybe screenplays bad writers will be uh, sorted into media writing courses where they'll write for video games and and kind of that kind of works into anime as well it's you know, the people are going to get sorted into not writing anime if they're if they're particularly talented and um which is going to constrain the amount of good anime out there and how much, when you're sitting down to watch an anime, how much you can really get out of it, you know? It's. I guess the 
Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I, 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 I opened this door to, to Langdon getting furious oh, at yeah. you, uh, Gareth. I'm sorry about that's that. That's fine. Um, <laughs> no, good. no, no, this is exciting. Yeah. Um, so far, we've totally agreed on everything. So this is, I think, the first time we've had a disagreement. Yeah. Um, good. We agreed but, We disagreed uh, on Taolin. We can, you know, it was uh, pretty much just a, us kicking him while he's down. But we do both agree that he should die of natural causes yeah. as soon as possible. Natural, but still ironic. Yeah, like he takes, he literally becomes a glass of orange juice from taking so much acid. Hmm. And then someone uh, naturally knocks him over. Yeah. Uh, so that his death is natural, not a murder, but he is dead. Hmm. Um, but I think um, you're uh, to get a little bit hegel and a little bit nietzsche here oh my oh my guy um always important bring it yeah especially honestly when I'm talking about art stuff the super is yeah i know you can't you can't well no one wants to hear me talk about hegel and art uh but i you know i'll, I'll do yeah, it you, you've, you've um, heard of hegel but... I, I wasn't aware <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh, oh yes um but so far and this is the big issue that i have with this argument um they're both both ends of that are gesturing very vaguely to an unnamed quality. And if anything, it's also something that an analytic philosopher would scoff at is what is this qualia that good art has and that bad art doesn't have? And how come people get sorted out? And when we start thinking of depth in that same way and like people reading on to Evangelion, this is where I think the, the notion of art as aesthetic first that develops a kind of psychic circuitry and we credit an author for making things that either have plural pathways or a single pathway that we communally agree is um, uh, worthwhile mm -hmm. um, is ultimately one there's a question of legibility if you don't understand the symbols or references in something it can transform a deep work into a work of nonsense and pulp and just like drudgery um, so outside of legibility like and even the question of, do you know there is something that you're missing? Because if you don't even know that there's something that you're missing, there's no amount of education that will elucidate hmm. that. Um, likewise, it subtracts that one of the things we look for in art is not just, do they have interesting thoughts? Because now we're reducing artists to bad philosophers who can't communicate in an essay very well. Um, we but like that's what Hegel does. That's true. Um, he is no, honestly. That's I mean, but like, but, but bad at communicating. Um, <laughs> well, no, no, no. I mean, like that's what he does about about artists. Like, I mean, the the, the Hegelian vision of art actually like is totally okay with with. Uh, a, I mean, it's not actually very. Um, it's certainly not materialist. But the the position Hegel takes with with art is that like you know you start with. You start basically, I mean, I forget what you actually start with. I'm sorry. I think it's like folk tales or something like that. But then you, you kind of like, you keep going and eventually you get to the romantic form of art. And then um, eventually you uh, you just become a philosopher. Like art has to die eventually. Like the idea of Hegel is that like, you know, you get dialectic contradictions until the final dialectic contradiction just leads you to philosophy. And all the artists get serious and start writing philosophy instead. And that's um, where I think that he's wrong, and I think Nietzsche's yeah. response that what draws us to art is not the thoughts contained in it. It is the aesthetic of art. Mm. Now, we want it to contain thoughts. That's like an important strand in the braid, but people don't 
And I, I read someone who, I'm not going to say their name because I actually respect them a lot, and they also have a, a lot of background in literature, but they referred to Ulysses as one of the greatest literary trolls of all time and not worth someone's time. Wow. Bold. And I, I do disagree. not... Yeah, I, I, that, I don't think that's true. Um, um, I, to be fair, like uh, to, to qualify that, I think Finnegan's Wake is the greatest literary contribution that a person has made. Um, like regardless of so era, not I just, Genesis Evangelion. Right, okay, it, it's like a perfect fucking crystal. But honestly, if we take the kind of part of what's charming about Finnegan's Wake is how it appears on the surface to be bat fucking sane. And you dig into it and things sort of automatically assemble and things, some things don't assemble and some other person that you've never heard of walks in and is like, oh, that's a three language reference to this poem from Persia. And you're like, what the fuck? Um, yeah, right. But there's that same level of, um, and this is where uh, Nietzsche gets part of his fixation on Hegel and his life of the conflict of the Apollonian and the Dionysian. Is And you guys probably know this, but his Ur figure for the Apollonian, and we know this from his letters, was Hegel. And he viewed scientism as, like, the bane of thought. Mm. Like, it masquerades as deep thought. And I, I don't think anyone after Nietzsche really is this venomous towards Hegel, um, but viewed it as, like, it presents itself as the ultimate and only possible thought, when really it's a thought, and a valid thought, but it presumes an order to a chaos that doesn't have one. And reapplying that to art, I think that sometimes if you walk into, say, the um, the cultural and the pulp grounding of how anim- what anime is, how anime works, what it's drawing from, and um, it tends to be, I guess, I guess the fancy term would be, it tends to be more generative in thought rather than um, prescriptive. Hmm. It doesn't try to go, here's my theme. It instead tries to provide interesting soil, grow conditions, and seeds, and just, if anything, me and Genesis Evangelion gets a little bit wrongly credited, because it's a, a bit more girded. If you pause it and look up the specific words it's using and look at the th- literally the things on the screen, you're like, this is religious as shit, this is Freudian as shit. There's like, there's no... That's not accidentally read on it. You can't have that many crosses and that many spe- like words from a specific mystic tradition and be like, ah, oh, just it's an accident that it assembles something. I think um, <laughs> he literally crawls inside of his giant mom who's been absent his entire life, but that's <laughs> just a fluke. And his dad literally wants to decapitate him, but uh, um, but. That's where I think, um, to tie, to bring this back to video games, I think that's where it can, it was, it was eye-rolling at first in, uh, the late 90s and early 2000s when Metal Gear Solid 1 and 2 were coming out and people started talking about Kojima in those terms because... That was like an auteur. Frankly, frankly in the West, we had really only, we'd only really seen Metal Gear 1, which was super unpopular because we just had the NES port and didn't do anything, and then Solid came in. Um, but over time, that thought has been validated that what matters about Kojima's work with Metal Gear is not... And I'm going to piss off a lot of Metal Gear fans here, and that's okay because they're too high to do anything. Hey. It doesn't matter that the series doesn't literally make sense. There is not a tremendous amount of sense-making, like 
through the series. There is enough there, though. There's enough thoughts. There's enough little kernels. There's enough fertile ground. There's enough shades and implications and parallels that... And then you look at something else and you don't necessarily see that. I think he gets a little bit of false credit, though, because if anything, he's pulling... I'm gonna oh oh I'm gonna I'm gonna do a fancy thing I'm gonna I'm gonna nod to Basan here and some film Ooh. Ooh. Um, wow Kojima's getting Kojima gets credit for drawing in literary and filmic thought hmm. but and to be fair he he doesn't short on game thought but the notion of valuing as as important to the development of games as something specific to them and to them alone of like game mechanics. Um, we have a hard time viewing, like, Bungie as somehow being equivalent to Kojima, even though there are, there are two eras of first-person shooters. First-person shooters before Halo, and first-person <coughs> shooters after Halo. Right. Hmm. Like, it was such an epochal shift that no one thinks to go back. And so you're saying, like, if uh, Bungie had started, on a reference in the New York trilogy in the Halo games, <laughs> just randomly dropping character names that are the same as people from Paul Oster uh, books, that we would uh, see Bungie as these genius auteurs and um, worthy of um, being the highest possible I, video game producers. I think that's right. Like, I think, I think honestly, like, Langdon's right about that in terms of video games, because, I, I mean, much, much more than literary critics and 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 people who write are particularly much much more than people who who are writers um so so both of you are included although i will give the nod to gareth because he has a fancy ma mm-hmm. um, right. and that that is that is my that is my way um, i have a lowly bfa <laughs> well they, i'm not i'm not impressed no, no i'm i'm impressed uh, i can't i can't like i can't you know write or draw or do anything so um i'm just a critic uh and and we all know what Samuel Beckett has to say about critics, um, but uh, you know, like I think I think like it's true that it's I don't know, like it's true that in video games, particularly, there is this sense that if you include something that is smart, like if you include like a quote, and you see this even with like quote unquote smart producers like Jonathan Blow, I was um, excited. yeah, particularly in his <laughs> most recent game, where like. It, there's just a lot of quotes about Buddhism and stuff and it's supposed to be deep. And it's like, people will fall for that. You could totally get people to think your video game is deep. If you have a couple of illusions in there. And in some ways, Halo is just as important uh, as Metal Gear Solid from a narrative and thematic way, because the form changes the content as well. I think, oh, sorry, go on. Just a minor point about Jonathan Blow. I think it's. Um, Are you a bit quiet? No. Oh, sorry. I, I, depending on where I am in my room, my microphone is louder, even though my microphone stays equidistant to my mouth. Yeah. Um, Stay in the loud part of the room. <laughs> so, uh, is it any oh, yeah. better right no, now? Good. Good. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. So. I tend to kick back against um, critics of Jonathan Blow who say that his games are bad because he's pretentious. Um, not because he isn't a pretentious uh, little shit sometimes, uh, most of the time, but I think that, and I don't blame people for saying that because he will even let his own PR about how deep 
like the subtleties in Braid are and the little quotes. And they'll overshadow that Braid is, if you play it on mute and you don't think about it, you're just <laughs> playing the game. It is a remarkably fucking pristine puzzle platform. That oh, yeah. game is Braid's fantastic. Like, super tight. The Witness, the way that, uh, and this ties into another thing that I wanted to bring up, novels and games seem to be the two that get away the most with taking that power dynamic and tilting it away from the audience and having the audience be engaged by that as opposed to turned off by it. Like, mm. the Dark Souls of film doesn't tend to do well financially. It may be critically uh, well-received, but it doesn't do well financially. Meanwhile, Is the Dark Souls of film uh, a, a Serbian film? <laughs> Uh, no, the Dark Souls of film would probably either be uh, like Godard's History of Film, which is fucking strange to watch. Brilliant, obviously, but very... Or like Inland Empire or something like that, where yeah. you... It's a, it's a psychic trial, not always in a good way. Amongst all of us, we probably ran into the socially as well. When you bring up that like you really like weird novels, no, not... Murakami, no, not David Foster Wallace, no, the weird people. All like you can't even talk about them without seeming like you're trying to one up someone. And you're like, I just read them in my spare time. I don't like it. Yeah, right. They're just what I'm drawn to. I don't know why it's. Uh, and then you, you know you pursue education because it compels you, and it eventually becomes something that you, in certain company, can talk about quite easily. But in other company, you kind of have to massage it. Um. I think people have that same thorniness sometimes when it comes to specifically people like Jonathan Blow because they let their mouths and certain elements of their game that are frankly more troglodytic than they let on. Like anyone can go on wiki quote. That's not that's not deep. I I I I'll go on record as saying, and this shouldn't be a crazy claim, but there's no such thing as a deep quote mm. because you, like. <laughs> Not anymore. Ripping all the context out of a thought definitely doesn't make it more insightful. Man, this is this is a hot. You're like you guys are going to be like on the front page of Reddit <laughs> uh, in a couple of weeks. Like this Langdon co-host thing. I, I hope you're I hope you're ready for some controversy. Oh yeah, bring it. <laughs> the Nietzsche, the great Nietzsche quote: "God is." <laughs> <laughs> um. We still haven't really addressed the uh, that that central question of the divide of literature and games. That's true. Very true. Um. I mean, I uh, the fact that it's generating this conversation is good. It's just. I mean, I, I guess like the the divide is because I, I think Gareth brought this up. It was either Gareth or Lincoln. I'm not, I'm not sure which one of you did, but like, you know, it's it's. Games are agential, like in in a very particular way, and and I mean, there's like, I don't know how to say this. Like, there's if you make a game a book, um, any part. Well, I mean, it goes back to the Jonathan Blow conversation. Like, game that you make a book, any part of the game where you're like, okay, here's the point of the game. Like, be sure to pay attention. Is the worst part of the game. Um, yeah. Like the best part of the game is the mechanical. It's all that. It's basically like the the content and form problem, but like a pure example of the content and form problem. So if you're doing like narrative for narrative's sake, most times it fails, and particularly if you are trying to write a novel, it fails. Um, you need you need mechanics in there as well, and it, it, that that is that is both that both brings it down to a sort of lower brow, and then also makes it very difficult to make it. Um, 
it just becomes very difficult to to convert uh, video games into novels and novels into video games for for that reason. That's what I think. To to touch back on the anime thing, I think that's a compelling um, general. So as someone who still is um, pretty active in terms of making making fiction and engaging in that world as much as the other stuff. Um, Gareth, are you also active in making fiction? Do you still uh, write? I, I did. Um, it's a sore spot. I, I kind of. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I, I, We've all, yeah. yeah. It's uh, sympathetic twangs here. Yeah. <laughs> Get the world's smallest violin. Because uh, I spent ten years on a book <laughs> and um, it didn't pan out. But uh, that, oh. that's the short end of the story. I'm sure if, um, if long-term fans of the show will uh, know the full uh, heartbreaking story and how do- and how honestly, it's Donald Trump's a, fault. A, a... A good, uh, a good uh, podcast idea would be like failed projects where people talk about. Yeah, you talked about that before. It's there, hard there is a, to meet someone in this world who doesn't have, or or literally like a novel they finished, but you know, no one will touch, mm. and they don't even want to go back and edit. Um, and there are some cool kernels in there, but the uh, it more fruitful in a certain way to think about less in a mystic way i mean you do kind of have to keep in contact with that bit because otherwise you won't that spark of creation won't like you won't be compelled to spend years writing a fancy lie and try to sell it to people for money you have to be a little bit stupid to do that um you gotta stay stupid but um on on another bit um thinking of them instead as mechanics that flourish into aesthetic so it's things like word choice, it's things like sentence structure, it's things like grammar, it's things like um, creating parallel things. Thinking very, very small scale like that tends to be a lot more fruitful, I find, in terms of actually maintaining forward progress and actually having fruitful editing versus you can get lost in the broad strokes of what are my themes, what am I shooting for? But you know, if you have moment to moment, each sentence is compelling, each scene is compelling, or they're uncompelling for deliberate reasons that are compelling then you can get away with a lot and i think that touches back into uh one a defense of something like anime is that sometimes we approach it with a an aesthetic standard based on the mechanics and aims of another field and then judge it as good or bad based on that but um uh, to go a little bit Hegelian, we wouldn't say that a cup is just a really bad bookcase because it looks kind of like one, but you can't really fit a book in there unless it's a softback <laughs> one and you curl it up. Um, we, it's, it's, instead, someone would go, no, you're a jackass, it's a cup. Um, and likewise, we don't go like, this cup sucks, I pour water on it and it just sprays everywhere. And they're like, that's a desk. And you're like, how come it's got a couple big cups that are attached to it, but I can't tip them to drink them? Um, and to be fair, I think this also happens in the game world a lot. That we uh, we will approach like a critic will give a Dynasty Warriors game, which is a beat 'em up with um, uh, historical elements and fiction elements and uh, little things like that. They'll judge it more or less based on like, is this as compelling as The Legend of Zelda? And it's like, well, it's not shooting to do anything like that. So right. uh, approaching from that angle, no, it's not going to be compelling. But that's like, if you like fighting games or racing games, no game whatsoever is going to be exciting because nothing else really lets you boot into immediately the most intense part of the game. 
That's true. And I mean, it's it's a good point about about genre problems there, too, because like any game, you know, any games writing is going to be like, well, this is my game of the year. And so like you're you're saying, OK, um, is, uh, you know, uh, try to think of a good example is like is is Cuphead as good as Wolfenstein 2? And it's like, well, I don't know, like is uh, Groundhog Day as good as um, uh, the Italian job? Like it's it's like <laughs> you may as well just like it's total apples to oranges, and we treat it as if that's like a completely natural question. And uh, I, that, that's where we also get certain things like um, uh, going back to the critical world. The idea of engaging with children's literature and things like that is so critically validated. And the same with young adult stuff. That in the um, not saying specific people within the uh, academic world, they still turn their noses up at shit, but that's because they're fucking uh, shut-in weirdos. But the general notion of writing uh, critically about children's fiction, about young adult fiction, things like that, is uh, beyond normalized. That's just yeah. that's just a part of the landscape. Um, and individuals may turn their nose up at that, but there are still individuals who turn their nose up at critically examining Lord of the Rings, and that's... Uh, and no, no one takes them seriously. Um yeah, I was in a, but, I was in a bookstore likewise, when, earlier today, and I was just browsing stuff, and I found this big trove of books I'd never heard of that looked amazing, and they sounded so good. And it then turned out I was just in the young adult section, and I just didn't know who, who any of these writers <laughs> were because I've just got a blind spot for young adult. Uh, so anyway, that's why I'm going to read The Hate You Give. <laughs> nice. I, you should, read, you should read the one about, like, uh, the people in love who have cancer. Oh, yeah. Uh, Fault in Our Stars. That's, yeah. that's the one. It's even got a little literary reference in the title, so I'll feel right at home. That, that's right. And it's one everyone can get. Well, I, again, like that, you know, back to Jonathan Blow, right? Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we have, um, we have a similar... Uh, or we have uh, an inverse of this problem within the games world where the notion of what are these games that are either simplistic or designed for children or entry-level games or things like that? What are they doing that's interesting? What are they doing? Like, what's something going on? What is going on here? Is there anything that can be used to... Are there interesting parallels? Instead, we get, should you, a 40-year-old man, buy Detective Pikachu? Well, it's $40, and it's only nine puzzles, and the writing is, frankly, kind of childish. And it's like... A sentence like that, the writing is childish. What does that mean? What do these words mean in relation to the text? Materially, what are you fucking saying? <laughs> um, because it gets divorced so much from, one, the intent of the production of it, and then two, critics who aren't looking at things for what interesting ideas are going on here. Like, oh, it compelled a lot of people, the idea of giving a Pokemon a human voice and a human personality to engage with people to do in the juxtapositional idea of him uh, unfortunately there are no grisly murders in detective pikachu but the thought of a talking pikachu solving like uh, uh law and it's order mi- style like, it's a serious missed opportunity i have to tell you right <laughs> absolutely a boy throwing up while the pikachu is like looks like the ice pick hit him seven times right through the eye Pikachu just constantly talking about his ex-wives. A a trauma center where it's all different Pokemon. Like, you have to (laughs) amputate using Sizer. (laughs) 
<laughs> just cutting it's a good. man's off. I like um, it. But I uh, guess yeah, so, like we see these little um these little thoughts in games and it takes someone like a random I and this I think is part of why Let's Plays became as popular as they did, because they were willing to take games and not go is this good should you spend time on it? But once they subtracted that financial element, like you weren't spending the money, I did. Now it's just I'm going to tell you interesting things that are within this that you may mm. not have spent the time to get. And I think there are obviously some really bad elements, like a lot of Let's Players are racist. Um, that's a pretty bad part, I think. Um, the racism. They're from <laughs> wow, another hot take. Which is a, uh, they're from something awful, which is itself a bit of uh, racists. Um, and ableists. So, you know, yeah, you have, you have all these things, uh, mostly the racism. But outside of that, you have people looking at um, sometimes these really obscure games and like uh, the one about like uh, the Earth Defense Force games where they were like these were passed over because they were even in Japan literally made as budget titles. But you get this like really bizarre thing that and like no one else would really have made you wouldn't see, sit down and seriously make this but now that it's been made once you can begin the production cycle and you can imagine it you can either imagine it getting scaled up or like a, a an actual fan of b movies like not someone who throws them on to roast them but someone who loves um i guess the parallel would be like naive art Mm-hmm. And the video game version of Naive Art. Like, no one looks at Henry Darger and is like, this would be good if only that art was a little bit more, mm, uh, had some verisimilitude to it. These Vivian <laughs> girls, I think they're killing a bit too many people in these battles. Um, uh, and, and likewise, I think games are... It's actually an article that I've struggled to get placed anywhere because no one wants to do it, of treating, like, bad games or budget games like naive art instead of, um, and, yeah, that kind of question. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. they're all they're all nascent. Like, it, it's it's such a fascinating and, that's one of the reasons I was so excited for you to get started with stuff. It's because, like, it's this field that is so young and has so much space that just no one is touching well and you know the funny thing about the funny thing about it in the academy is if you if you bring up if you talk about the mechanics from a reading perspective like a a sort of like maps of reading or whatever people will publish it but they do not want you talking about the video game itself and if you do you have to speak about it in like very mystified language and it it's odd like it's just like a weird thing you can't dig down and sort of talk about like why people like this stuff and, and what aesthetics might be in there you have to go about it like six different ways um gareth i'm interested so as a writer like as someone who who started with like who like was classically trained uh or like universally trained within the university system however you want to imagine that classically or not um i mean how do you sort of understand naive art would you like would you imagine that such a thing can exist or is that just like yeah absolutely Uh, is outsider art just art that like i mean i I was big into henry darger way before i ever crossed my mind to actually train myself in writing now i i i think it's probably a crossover effect from being into like punk as a kid mm-hmm. or um being into people like um daniel johnson i mean i've, I've got a freaking uh, a piece of naive art tattooed on my chest from one of his drawings he made when he was schizophrenic and in an asylum um and he was I don't know if you've ever heard his music, but it's 
it's naive. It's naive as hell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know. Um, yeah, I like him. Yeah, I, I, I think it comes back to what I said at the very start, which is like, I can't imagine playing a bad video game for fun. Um, but then I'm sure there are plenty of games I've played during my life which are, which would fall into that naive category. Uh, I think like I one of the... one a lot. By the way, I I play bad games for fun a lot. <laughs> I mean, there's like I think like the best way to think about it is like when you were a kid, right? Like, especially when if you if you like you know me or like a lot of people um, had a limited amount of games uh, because they cost <laughs> so much money and your parents didn't want to buy them or couldn't or whatever uh, your position happened to be. Like, you just played these games that weren't good, mm-hmm. but you sort of found why they were good or found something in them that you could play and just well, later, like, when, spend um, hours and hours with this stuff. When uh, Flash games were a thing. Like, I'm, someone reminded me the other day of uh, Emo Game. Do anyone ever... Oh, yeah. I never played that. I yeah. did a lot. I did a yeah. lot too. That I, <laughs> I must have like missed classes at school because I was playing that in the, in the computer labs. And uh, What's nuts is even then, like, I hated... I, I knew the bands and hated the bands they were referencing, but the game it was, was so, so good. Yeah, it was like really telling. Yeah, and it, it was funny, and it was there was even sad at times, which was understandable for emo game. But it was, uh, yeah, it was, it, <laughs> and it was like a not outsider art in the way Daniel Johnson or Henry Darger is, but it was it was punk. It was like someone in their basement doing their thing with very limited. Um, technical skills and uh, equipment to hand just one guy doing what he wanted and it, it was I, I i remember that game way more than i do any of the call of duties or um the assassin's creeds of the world these like, mega games that in, on in virtually every way are better but if you you know desert island if, if i had to have the assassin's creed trilogy or emo game i'd go for emo game um, I think hmm. it's uh, yeah. It's uh, now that I think of of it in those terms. I I'm, I guess I'm thinking of like um, like when I say bad games, I think of like the AAA games that have failed. Like yeah, because they're soulless. I mean, they're they're commercial games that aren't yeah. fun. And if you have commercial games that aren't fun, then what's the hmm. point? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, in film. It'd be like uh, a trauma film versus something like uh, Solo. That just come out. I, I just watched yeah. that. I was bored. It, it probably cost a billion dollars. There's tons of actors in it, and they're all all great people. And I was. It was nothing to me. I've already forgotten most of it. Whereas I remember tons well, we, of Toxic Avenger stuff. Mm, mm. We likewise have a parallel here with um to go back into sort of a contemporary film career world. Like Michael Bay has had a critical renaissance among certain groups. Because of um, the notion, not that he presents these films that are totally coherent and nail what they're doing, but just that the level of messy, like, punkish shotgun blasts of ideas that, like, the contemporary Transformers films have been doing is fucking insane to see in, like, a blockbuster. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, The Last Night is out of this, out of, I mean, out of control. (laughs) It's that movie has fucking Merlin in it. It's a Transformers movie. Merlin the Human Wizard is in the movie because Optimus Prime gets turned evil by a cursed sword. Nice. I haven't actually seen it. Also, 
Check this out. Also, the main character turns out to be a, a uh, reincarnation of King Arthur. Not Why? lying. It seems a, reasonable. And like, Just, it, and did you I, ever see that? You saw the part in the cartoon where it was like that, right? Yeah. What the, I, I must have missed this. Oh, are you being sad? I'm I'm good at dead okay, panning. Good. Um, but but yeah, like um, we even have those moments where, and like the initial few Assassin's Creeds were like that, where people. Uh, balked at them because they were like, I wanted just this historical stealth action game that was going to be like Tenchu, but um, in you know, Florence or something like that. And it took a while for people to wrap their heads around, like, no, the fucking the fucking schizoid masterpiece of ancient aliens plus uh, Stargate SG One plus <laughs> uh, time travel plus twenty twelve uh, conspiracies plus Illuminati, like. Who would have guessed that that would become a triple-A franchise? And then who would have guessed that triple-A franchise would become boring as shit? Like, what an insane arc. <laughs> the, second, the second game was three full games. Yeah, it would be like uh, the Vivian girls in the realms of the unknown getting made into a film series and by, like, the ninth one being like... It, there's so many Vivian girls. I can't even keep up. There's like twelve of them. This is just stupid. <laughs> it, it's so like uh, like looking at the boldness that they went Assassin's Creed one, Assassin's Creed two, Assassin's Creed. Uh, literally, like um, it's still the long running um thing that they only broke the game in half because they outlined all of what would become the Assassin's Creed two trilogy. But they were like, oh, that seems a little bit big. So let's do about like two thirds now. And then the last third will be DLC. And then the DLC got really big. So they're like, let's just release that as a game. And then as they were finishing up, like as, oh, this will be the back half. They're like, and then he goes off to this part and oh, that's getting a little bit big. Let's release that as DLC. And then they did that. And then the DLC again became too big. And they literally just cut it off at a certain point. Went, no, um, Revelations is the last part. We're done. But then the boldness that the next game is not Assassin's Creed 5 because it was literally the fifth game. No, it was three. They retroactively went all three of those games are just one entry. Yeah, that's that's all Assassin's Creed 2, right? And like, so there, um, games have an interesting parallel with serial narrative there on the way that uh, the novel partly had development uh, parallel to how serial fiction uh, worked in the 17 and 1800s that, well, I, Earlier than that as well, but with you could mess with even the stated structure of a novel as it was going on, um, which is a fascinating thing. I wish one more games would play with, and two gamers who are the most fickle and schizoid uh, consumer group that exists uh, would accept it instead of like anything that happens in a video game where they charge money for it. Say it's just a money grab. Well, I mean, Kentucky Route Zero does this. I mean, Kentucky Route Zero is one of the best oh, yeah. serialized games that you can imagine. Um, probably the closest you can get to a like a perfect marriage between literature and uh, and gaming. I've never played it. Yeah, I, I totally forgot yeah. about it. Oh, um, it's very good. They're really, really good. What, what, what is it? I, I've, I've heard the name. I've never t- even touched it. It's, it's effectively like one of those old um, LucasArts. I mean, this is, this is a... a Big oversimplification, but it, it feels a little bit like those old LucasArts adventure games where it's a lot of point like and click and like. Max? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Similar, and... but like it's very, it's very um, American Gothic meets surrealism. I mean, it gets surreal very fast, and it's it's very interesting. It's it's yeah, it's, it's very, very good. 
it's very uh, contemporary Americana weird fiction. Um, like sits nose to nose with that kind of stuff, oh. like psychedelic westerns and stuff like that. Okay, yeah, okay, you've convinced me to to uh, check that one out. Is is it worth sixty bucks? Oh yeah, you'll and, like. Uh, it. Should I uh, spend twenty hours on it? That's that's the most important thing. Uh, yeah, man, I would give it a three uh, games out of uh, four, uh, which is my scale. <laughs> that's a that's a, that's a sim- yeah. Wow. Okay, I'll check it out. Um, okay, I think we're hitting the ninety minutes ish mark at the moment. So, <laughs> that's, that's... ninety. Always. 90 minutes is round about 20 minutes. That's an interesting take. Wait a minute. Um, <laughs> I want to come back to that one. I think that's, that's going to be another one of the incredibly hot Inferno, Inferno style takes that we're going to... Yeah, geez, you're just like, you just like pump them out. From this to racism is bad? I mean, man. Okay. This guy is uh, on fire. Everyone who likes pop punk should be killed uh legally wow well, I mean, they're all pedophiles so people already believe that you know that's true there's like no group that people want to kill more than pedophiles and there's no genre that has more pedophiles than pop punk so there go yeah quid quid yeah. pro quo um some acto yeah latin um you guys are you guys are real hot take artists together. I'm I'm impressed. This is good. Did you hear the episode where we said that uh, Barbara Bush? And this is true. Um, that this did happen. Not that we said it. We did say it, but it's also true that uh, Barbara Bush died because she overdosed on Xanax while listening to uh, to Young Lean and Dreamhouse. Beach House. Uh, uh, Beach House. Yeah, there we go. That seems yeah. true. And I'm not saying. That actually happened to uh, Melania, and that's why she's disappeared. But it's more plausible than QAnon, so you know. The the last uh, the last think... photo of her, she was walking out with a, an armful of old Cocteau Twins records. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, is 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 are we saying is QAnon taking respon? I mean, obviously, they're not taking responsibility, but is QAnon an, an explanation for where Melania I, I is? I bet it is. I mean. Even though I haven't like delved into it, I bet they're saying like the um, the malignant AI that is controlling the deep state has like whacked Melania in order to throw Trump off his game. I bet I. Yeah, because Trump's getting too close to the pedophiles. Yeah, he's, he's he's too close to the truth now. So the 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 AI has um, taken Roseanne and Melania off the board in order to mess with his game. You know, it's and it prevent him from. I cannot from believe them. that it's it. It's really unfortunate, and I I feel really bad uh, knowing that it's mm. true. So Langdon, you had a a song you wanted to cap off the episode with. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to remember the song that I told you. It was like an um, eight minute two mold song that you said was like proggy or something. Oh yeah, yeah. Let me uh, let me let me find that. So um, the band is Tomb Mold. A uh, anyone who's listening to this who already knows um, contemporary extreme metal is gonna know the name. Their their demo was huge for good reason. Combined some really gnarly, uh, very cold synthesizer with some very uh, brutal but um, really like twisting death metal. Like as much as it was brutal, it was also 
the songwriting was uh, very, uh, very amorphous. Very. Uh, Ooh. Um, Sounds great. It is. Yeah, 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 really, really fucking great band. Um, their debut record. Uh, um, I forget what it was called. Uh, the the Bottomless Petition. No, I think that was their oh, demo. Uh, the Molten Cryptic Transmissions. Uh, that might be it. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, they, they had a, their debut record came out and that, um, I think, it, no, I think it was Primordial Malignity, um, uh, knocked a lot of socks off, um, cleaned up the sound just a little bit. And, uh, uh, they have a new album coming out that, uh, without giving much away the like promo copies haven't been circulating in the metal writing world for a while. Everyone that's heard it agrees it's it's fucking phenomenal. Like if you are a a death metal fan, and when I say like a progressive death metal fan, I don't mean necessarily like Obscura or something like that. No, no, not to Obscura, but things that are re- like like the way Time Ghoul were had these like eleven minute like no chorus, uh, like wild prog rock structured songs, but every bit was this very fucking brutal death metal. Um, mm. They're their new record is a lot like that, where there's very few choruses and just these really gnarly structures, but also, like, the sickest, most fucking brutal riffs, and the cover is, like, some rain and blood meets Voivod-level, like, psychic gut-fuck insanity. It's fucking mm-hmm. great. The song is called Blood Mirror. Good. Yeah. It's good. I like but, that. Like, but, like, other song titles are, like, Manner of Infinite Forms and Abyss Walker and things like that. I think so I may have played uh, Manner of Infinite Forms on the show before. Because, uh, uh, yeah, I, I have, actually. But we can play this one, too. Oh, I was going to say, I played Abyss Walker when it was, a, um, when it was like, a, the Metal Gear Solid on, uh, on PSP. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Nice. But, uh... I never played that one. I'm, I'm, I'm like stupidly into the Metal Gear franchise. Um, I'm one of those. Oh, you never played Acid or no, whatever I, that was. I didn't have a PSP. You know, like, what could I do? I played the yeah. first Acid. I never played Acid Two. I'm not a CCG guy though, so. So, but yeah, we're gonna play two mold then, and that will cap off the episode, and we'll be back next week, uh, minus Trevor, but uh, we will have a book. Because it's again ostensibly a literary podcast, um, we're going to probably do. Uh, we'll sort this out, but I, I think we're probably going to do "Bullshit Jobs" by David Graeber because I got that today, and it's it's oh, a good. Cool. It's, it's a, got, I, gotta love Graves. Yeah, he's a, he's a very nice guy, and he, and he always talks to you on Twitter as well. So that's he, well, not me. He blocked what? me. What did you? What did you do? Wow. Are you a statist? I think I, I think I come on, tell us. I critiqued, I critiqued his. Uh, no, I'm not a statist. I but I, I, I said his. Uh, I asked if he like what he thought of the the critiques of his of debt that it was like it was insufficiently Marxist or like didn't make a lot of sense and he got mad at me because I asked that question okay, and well, um, he was having a bad day. Blocked well, me. That is very internet. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, no, very internet would be like uh, screenshotting it, going on like a multi-threaded. Uh, thing about it, maybe doxing you. Um, I mean, he did oh, dox okay. me. He revealed that I. That... Yeah. Okay, well, that that's internet enough then. That's sufficiently internet. 
I dox myself every day just to smoke screen it. That way you can't you can't really do anything to me. I've I've already put that info out there. You're like the uh you're like the guy like the um uh that, that meme of the dude touching his head. Um and it just says like can't dox me if I've doxed myself. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> Like you can't come to my house and kill me if I've already cut my own head off with a sword. Oh. <laughs> I tried to dox myself. That is smart. But, um, I found nothing, so I'm really scared. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so come back next week, and maybe I'll have found out if I exist or not. And uh, we'll. I hope you do. I'm I'm really I'm really rooting for you to exist, oh. man. That that would be good for me to hear. Yeah, I'm, I'm, okay. I'm, that, that's good. I'm glad someone's pulling for me to exist because uh, sometimes I don't. Um, but on that dark <coughs> dark note, uh, let's listen to some two mold, and yep, yeah, come back next week. Rate and review. Do all that stuff. We'll have a Patreon one day, maybe. I don't know. So save up. Um, listen to No Cartridge Audio because he's, he's so fucking good. Um, Thank you. And give money. This was really fun. Thanks for having me on. I'd love to come back if you ever have a, ever have want to talk about video games, or if you ever want to talk. I mean, I'm I, I'll, I'll talk. I'll talk just straight lit with you, man. Like uh, you guys. Like I I um I don't always do that. Yeah, I, I'll I'll do it though. Like like me and uh, me and you are well. I should not direct this specifically at you because that would make it feel awkward. But uh, yeah, like me and him bonded years ago through talking about books. So. Um, mm-hmm. Not True. just having the PhD. I know from conversation, those are shit. Very good to talk. Well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely.